Grace, mercy, and peace be to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We have this fun little book at home called uh, The World's Dumbest Laws. And, and, and in it, it's, it's really a collection of these antiquated laws that for one reason or another just never have been taken off the books. I'll give you a little sampling here. In Juliet, Illinois, it is illegal to put cake in a cookie jar. That's against the law. In Blue Earth, Minnesota, no child under the age of 12 may talk over the telephone unless accompanied by a parent. There's probably some wisdom in that one, right? The Virginia Code has a statute to prohibit corrupt practices of bribery by any person other than candidates. It's kind of a head-scratcher. My favorite, New York law prohibits bald men from visiting beauty shops for the purpose of having their hair regrown. It's against the law. These are real laws written on books that were never removed in various states. It makes you wonder what on earth, what on earth happened that these laws needed to be written down in the first place. Who was the bald guy that walked into the beauty parlor that made such a stink that someone decided to write a law about it? It's absurd. It makes you also wonder, what on earth would the penalty be if you were caught breaking the law? Like, who is watching all the cookie jars to make sure that there's no cake in it? And what would that penalty be? Would would you get a slap on the wrist, right? Right? Would you get a ticket? Would you, would you spend a time in jail? I don't know. Of course, these civil laws, they wouldn't be enforced today. They don't do much for us except give us a chuckle and make us kind of shake our head. But nonetheless, they were written. They were written. It's funny that they were written. To us, as we're hearing them today, and many will like them, it's kind of a joke. It's a wonder, though. Or I wonder, though. Aren't we oftentimes tempted to think about God's law in the same way? All those things that were written in that dusty old Bible of yours, they're so antiquated and so out of touch with society and the world in which we live now. Those laws like don't eat shellfish, don't sow two types of fabric together that are not matching. Don't put in the same field two different kinds of seed. What kind of laws are these? And we're tempted. We're tempted to lump these civil or these ceremonial laws together with the Ten Commandments and make no distinction between them or seek to understand the context of why they were written. Do we scoff at the moral law and do we put it together with those laws that we just read about, maybe included in the the title, The World's Dumbest Laws? I mean, has what has been written become such a joke that we can't even recall the Ten Commandments together? 
Well, that's a problem. Because if you don't know the moral law, how do you know if you're breaking it? If you don't know what God commands, how do you know if you're going against it? And what is the penalty for breaking God's law? Is it a slap on the wrist? Is it a fine imprisonment? Or worse? So that none of us can ever leave here wondering today, the law is written and recorded in the scriptures, particularly the Old Testament. They come to us in three different kinds. We have the ceremonial laws. Things that were written for the Old Testament people of God so that they knew what was required of them to be involved in the worship of the one true God, either in the tabernacle or in the temple. Then they had the civil laws. Those things which were recorded for the Israelites to follow so they knew how to interact with one another in showing justice and mercy to one another. That's the civil law for the Israelites. And then there is the moral law, summarized in the Ten Commandments. Now, the Ten Commandments given to Moses on Mount Sinai after the Exodus were written by God himself in stone on two, stone, on two tablets. And the first tablet dealt with God's relationship with man. He commands... You shall have no other gods beside me. You shall not misuse God's name. You shall remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And then on the second tablet, he deals with those things that are for mankind's relation with one another. Honor your father and your mother. Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Do not covet your neighbor's house or stuff. Do not covet your neighbor's wife or servants or anything that belongs to him, those relationships. These two tablets or tables of the law can be summarized by saying, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. These are written so that you may know what the Lord demands or requires from you. It is written, Romans 7, 7, What shall we say then? That the law is sin. By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known what sin is. For... I would not have known what it is to covet if the, Lord, if the law had not said, you shall not covet. It is written, 1 John 3, 4, everyone who makes a practice of sitting also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Romans six twenty three. the wages or the consequence of sin or lawlessness is death. It is written. What then does that say about you and me? When I think of those civil laws that were kind of antiquated in that book, I can honestly say I've never put cake in a cookie jar, and I have never gone to a beauty shop for hair replacement. But those laws, these commandments, the moral law of our Lord 
what about those? Well, I have broken them over and over again. I don't deserve a simple slap on the wrist, a fine, or even imprisonment. The penalty of my sin is death. And the same goes for you. We are lawbreakers. We are sinners. Transgressing the Lord's moral code. And we deserve death. Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy. Jesus save us. Well that's exactly why we read that Jesus is in the wilderness. His temptation His account of the temptation is written for our comfort and our consolation. Fresh from the waters of baptism where it was revealed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, He is led into the wilderness for us. And there the sinless Son of God encounters the tempter, Satan himself, on our behalf. After 40 days of fasting, Jesus or Satan tempts Jesus to satisfy the cravings of his flesh. He says, if you are the Son of God, if you are, then turn these stones into bread. It is written, Jesus says, that man shall not live by bread alone. Well, Satan takes Jesus to see the kingdoms of the world from Babylon to Syria to Greece, Sparta, Rome, even Russia, China, and the U.S., and says, look, all of these I will give you, and all of their glory will be yours if you will just worship me. Jesus responds, it is written, worship God alone. In a final attempt to derail Jesus from his mission of salvation, Satan takes Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple, and he has the audacity to use God's word against him. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. It is written, the angels will bear you up, and he will not let you get hurt. And Jesus replies, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test And with that, Satan left him until an opportune time. See, brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus is in the wilderness and he is facing temptation and he does not break the law. Jesus does not give in to temptation. Jesus does not gratify his flesh, grab the glory, or tempt the Father. Jesus is faithful. Jesus knows what is written and why it is written. And Jesus fulfills the law. Meaning that Jesus keeps every part of the law. Even the Old Testament uh, civil and uh, ceremonial laws. But especially the moral law. Jesus keeps the law as God intends it to be kept. He lives in perfect faith to the Father. He lives in perfect love for mankind. And so Jesus does what we would not and could not ever do. He keeps the whole law without sin. Even when he's tempted by the old evil foe, Jesus is without sin. And that is the basis 
of our consolation and our comfort, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. For it is written that Jesus has not come to be another lawgiver, but the one who rescues and redeems us from under the curse of the law. This is called gospel, right? Quite literally, good news. When we pick up that dusty and that antiquated old Bible of ours, we will always encounter Jesus in two ways. The way that he speaks to us through the law, namely what God demands of us, but you will also discover this wonderfully liberating good news, namely what God in Christ Jesus has done for you. And that is gospel. Jesus would not be thwarted by the devil's lies. He would not crave into the gratifying of his flesh, grabbing the glory of the kingdoms of the world, or putting the Father to the test because he had you in mind. See, if he gave into temptation, the plan of salvation would be foiled. You and I, we would still be lawbreakers and we would still be in our sin. Jesus counters the deceit of the devil with the truth of the word. And in so doing, Jesus, the Son of God, continues undefiled with his journey to the cross. And that's good news for us. Because that's where Jesus paid the penalty of our lawlessness. It's at the cross where the only innocent one stood in our place and received the just punishment of our guilt. And see, just as Jesus willingly was tempted by Satan and overcame for you, Jesus willingly endured the shame of the cross, and there he died for you. And this good news is written for you, so that you may read it, that you would hear it, that you would study it, and above all else, that you would believe it. It is written that Jesus overcame the tempter for us and died for us and also rose from the dead for us. He ascended into heaven and he rules and reigns over all of his creation. And he sends the same Holy Spirit that was present at his baptism where it was declared uh, that he was the Son of God. The same Holy Spirit declares you to be sons and daughters of the Lord. It is written. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And that's good news because even now you have newness of life. You are in Christ. Now hearing both law and gospel, living out law and gospel, you are encouraged by the Lord to flee from the tempter and cling to the victor. You are set free to, to confess your lawlessness and trust in His righteousness. Now from baptism to the grave, this is the pattern of our lives. And it will be so until the end. When Christ, the King of kings, comes in glory and the nations finally acknowledge the world's true king, 
when our flesh will be raised like our Lord's, we will take place in that, or take part in that eschatological feast where our bodies will no longer see death or decay, and where Satan is finally put into uh, the pits of hell, and he will no longer be able to tempt us anymore. It is written. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, the whole law is fulfilled in Christ Jesus. The Old Testament civil and ceremonial laws are abolished. They have no more bearing on the Christian life any longer, but the moral law remains and the commandments, the commandments stand and they teach us to confess our sin and they guide us in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. And most importantly, they show us our need for good news, which is found only and ever in Christ Jesus alone. It is written, Amen. And may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.